Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. This week, there are new developments in the Donald Trump investigations. Former Vice President Pence has invoked the Constitution's speech or debate clause to avoid testifying in the DOJ's January 6th investigation. Meanwhile, Special Counsel Jack Smith is also seeking testimony from Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Trump lawyer Evan Corcoran in the January 6th and classified documents investigations. And in Fulton County, Georgia, a grand jury has recommended perjury charges against unnamed witnesses in the investigation into Trump's efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. In other news, the Department of Justice has decided not to bring sex trafficking charges against Florida Representative Matt Gates. Preet Bharara and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So reportedly, the Justice Department has told Congressman Matt Gates and his lawyers that notwithstanding a years-long investigation of Matt Gates into potential sexual misconduct with a minor and some other things, that they are not planning to bring charges. And I respect that. And if they don't think charges are appropriate, they're not appropriate. It is sort of interesting, though, how much expectations were raised reasonably among the general public and I think lawyers who follow these things. And I, I thought you and I would spend some time talking about this. There was a point where I really thought, based on a number of factors and signals, that the likelihood of Matt Gates getting charged was high. Now, this is a cautionary tale. So when people are reading uh, signs and the tea leaves with respect to investigations, whether it's Donald Trump or anyone else, you know, it, it doesn't happen until it happens. And the main reason why I thought there was a likelihood of, of uh, prosecution, and I wonder what you think, Choice, is with great fanfare, the lawyer for a cooperating defendant, Joel Greenberg, was very ostentatiously to my mind, cooperating with the federal government, with the DOJ, very clearly in connection with trying to get lenience for himself by you know, ratting on, as some people would say, other people, including Matt Gates. And there was this moment that I remember being on television and talking about and finding it very stark, where the lawyer for Joel Greenberg, Fritz Scheller, said in May 2021, publicly, I'm sure Matt Gates is not feeling very comfortable today, all right? Which I took to be the, a sign that you know, not a random layperson, not someone unconnected to the matter, but a lawyer for the person who is planning to plead guilty for purposes of lenience and cooperating to provide substantial assistance, had some insight into the mindset of prosecutors and the likelihood that they would bring a charge because why otherwise cooperate this guy? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes total sense to me. And I had the same reaction. I mean, this has always been a little bit of a dicey case when you think about it. And I'll just go straight to one legal issue that's troubling here because Gates is being investigated for this concern about trafficking or having sex with someone who's underage. And early on in this case, there was reporting that the now woman in question had concealed her age. And for some of the charges that are under consideration here, it actually doesn't matter if a defendant knows. For other types of charges, a defendant has to either know or have been willfully blind to that knowledge. 
But as a prosecutor, you have to think about whether or not your case has jury appeal. And it seemed early on that there might be some jury appeal issues. But then we got this increasing news that there was a cooperating witness and that he had a lot of pending charges. And DOJ was repeatedly continuing sentencing hearings so he could continue to cooperate. And then we heard this statement from Greenberg's lawyer, and it really did look like a case that was on track for prosecution. You know, I did this for a long time. You did this for a long time. And you don't know all the considerations. And people move aggressively. And they sometimes, in pursuit of a big target, they take aggressive steps. And one step that you take is to sign someone up as a cooperating witness. But the question is, at what point do you do that? You know, the balance in signing up a cooperating witness who is otherwise committed crimes by definition and is pleading guilty to those crimes, what deal do you give that person when you're not positive that it's going to result in substantial assistance? In other words, it's not going to result in an actual viable prosecution of someone else, someone else who's, who's a bigger fish. And I just wonder, without, without casting us, I'm not, I don't want to second guess anyone, although it maybe sounds like I'm doing that. But we've seen this in a number of cases, including the decision to search Rudy Giuliani's residence and office and home, which is a very, very big deal and a very big step to take. And one would think that at the time you decide to do something like that or sign up Joel Greenberg, who is a liar and you know a, a pretty tawdry witness, and you knew that at the time you're signing him up, was that you were hoping against hope that maybe there was a shot at prosecuting Matt Gates, or did you think this was going to take you substantially down the path of being able to indict Matt Gates, but then when you deliberated further and, and thought about it further, at the end of the day, you thought there wasn't enough. I don't know which one it is, and I'm guessing it's the latter, but we've seen in multiple high-profile cases that you know steps were taken that seemed like they were going to result in a prosecution and oddly did not. I think that that's fair. And we see, I mean, this is a perfect case to, to think about this in the context of, because here you see prosecutors taking the sorts of steps that typically do pan out, right? This sort of sign up of the cooperator um, who's close and, and some other folks who he then brings into your orbit and cooperation from the victim in the case. And that's the sort of scenario where you would think that a case could be made. But we don't see that happen here with Gates. And, and frankly, that's not the only time in recent history we've been disappointed, right? I mean, disappointed is an odd word to it, use. That is maybe the that. wrong word, yeah. Because um, with respect to Matt Surprised Gates, I have no, I have no disappointment. Yeah, yeah. Just, just so we're clear with folks, I don't have a dog in the fight on Matt Gates. My view is always if there was sufficient evidence to prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt and he should be held accountable, he should be held accountable. And if there's not, that's just how life is, and he shouldn't be prosecuted, just like anybody on any side of the political spectrum should not be prosecuted if, if either no crime was committed or there's not sufficient evidence to prove the crime. People would ask me from time to time if I was disappointed that we didn't bring a case against X or Y. I'm like, that by definition, no, because we're trying to do the right thing. So, you know, I have no doubt that it was the right thing. Well, I have almost no doubt that, that it was the right thing not to charge Matt Gates. My speculation is about the steps that were taken and whether if they had to do it over again, they would have given a deal to Mr. Greenberg. You know, he gets a deal. It's maybe not a great deal. I think I saw that he'll do about nine years in prison. So that's that's not chump change. 
But when you go into things with a witness like that, I mean, I have to say I have always been unafraid to have a witness who is a notorious liar and a cheat and a thief because then you can explain to a jury if you get to that stage that you didn't pick that witness. If you had been able to pick witnesses, you would have picked an altar boy, right? This is the witness that the defendant picked. This is well, I, I disagree with you on that. Do you not like doing that? I've always been really comfortable telling juries that they can, you know, that they get to decide whether they think a witness is credible or not. A hundred percent. We've all given the speech in summation about how, yeah, you don't have to like the guy. You just have to believe the guy. And the kind of person who knows about the crimes is a fellow criminal and someone who's in the conspiracy. All of that is true. But I draw a distinction between people who have committed crimes of, of violence or drug dealing or whatever the, the nature of the crime is versus a different category, a person who has literally committed the crime of lying <laughs> and lying under oath. This goes to Michael Cohen also and why there was disappointment perhaps in both the Manhattan DA's case, which is still playing out, but certainly in the case of the Southern District of New York, which set up the expectation in connection with Michael Cohen's guilty plea when he said he was acting at the direction of individual one, that that meant individual one would eventually be on the hook. And maybe that would be after Donald Trump left office. Um, you know, Ellie Honig, our, our friend and colleague, was in my NYU class last week, and we, we were having a discussion about how, in our experience, and he says it this way, you know, I'd rather put a murderer on the stand than a convicted liar. Because yes, you can make that speech, but the cross-examination of someone who is a convicted liar in court is, it can be devastating. You know, you were in a proceeding like this before, right? And the judge was sitting over there, right? Or if, in the case of Michael Cohen in Congress, and what did you do? You lied. How can we trust anything you have to say here? I just think there's a, there's a carve out when you said a moment ago that you welcome the liar to the stand, I don't. So it's it's a little bit different. And I, I agree with you on this. When you put the liar on the stand, you must be able to corroborate their testimony. There must be, for instance, paper that corroborates. And here early on, it looked like that's what prosecutors thought they had. They thought that they had, for instance, records of travel, records of payments. You know, Gates was very indiscreet in his Venmo labels on some of these payments. And so that's the only way that you can put someone who's been convicted of lying. And there's some suggestion that in Greenberg's case, it's even worse than lying, that he actually made allegations that weren't true about somebody else for trafficking an underage person. So in that situation, you've got to be able to tell the jury that their testimony is corroborated, that that's why they should evaluate it. I would never suggest to the jury, by the way, that they should take the word of a person, you know, with prior convictions, and certainly not with some for lying. But I am very comfortable going to the jury if I believe we have corroborated that witness and asking them to look at the evidence and reach that conclusion. So maybe that's where our difference is. Yeah, look, and, and there are things you can do. You can explain the circumstances in which the prior lies were told and explain that those circumstances are not existent here. You can make clear to the jury and to the witness that now you're under scrutiny, you're under oath. If you lie here, not only can you be prosecuted for that separately, but your cooperation deal gets ripped up and the judge will take that into account. So you have every incentive to tell the truth now, even though you lied before. So you, you can you can clean it up and you can mitigate it, but it's still, you know, a little bit worrisome and problematic. The other point I'll make, you know, decisions about prosecuting someone, when it comes down to a question, not of the particulars of the evidence, but it comes down to the credibility of a witness cooperating witness or otherwise, and a prediction as to how a reasonable jury would react 
to either an unsavory or somewhat non-credible witness like Joel Greenberg or Michael Cohen or someone else, those are those are tough judgment calls to make. That's not you know a question of whether the forensic report matches your theory of the case. It's not it's not concrete. It's not a science. It's an art. And as I've written in my book and other people have mentioned, you know, sometimes it's the case historically, I'm not saying that's true here, but sometimes it's the case historically that justice is not able to be done because prosecutors will view a certain kind of witness as lacking in credibility, particularly if it's a vulnerable person. And I'm thinking of the Me Too cases and the Harvey Weinstein cases Mm -hmm. where prosecutors made the difficult judgment call in which they decided, well, this young woman who maybe had these other experiences may not do well on cross-examination. And I think there is there has come a point where we re-examine those things and prosecutors are willing to push the envelope a little bit and make different judgments about credibility. Otherwise, very bad people remain unpunished. I think that that's a quintessential part of our criminal justice system. We have rules not the whims of men that guide when people are held accountable. And isn't this the difficult truth that we have to accept, that our individual ideas of justice sometimes have to fall to this larger process and procedure that guarantees rights across a broader spectrum? Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.